Welcome back everyone to Goody and Johnny of All at the Movies. Tonight we're bringing you episode 35 of our show. And tonight we are going to be reviewing Raiders of the Lost Ark. We actually just saw this at a uh, drive-in theater uh, in uh, Bellport, Long Island at the mm -hmm. Gateway Playhouse. <clears throat> it's one of the only ways right now anyone can really watch, uh, watch a movie um, outside of, the out, outside of the, your own house since the movie theaters are all shut down. Uh, luckily in New York, here on Long Island, we've had uh, quite a few opportunities to watch uh, an outdoor film um, at different parking lots. Uh, malls are doing this. Uh, I know playhouses uh, around Long Island are doing this. And because it was Raiders of the Lost Ark, we really couldn't pass this up. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I've never seen Raiders <coughs> of the Lost Ark on the big screen. Uh, obviously, I have it home. But uh, this was a great opportunity to go see that. I know you've seen this a bunch of times mm -hmm. on the big screen. Yeah. Uh, so we are going to bring you our nice little review. Before we do that, we're going to get to our little drink of the night. Yeah. Uh, I am drinking for the first time a Samuel Adams uh, Sam 76 refreshing lager. And it sounds like it'll be his last time. <laughs> yeah, probably my last time. I was never a big <laughs> fan of Sam Adams, but this like seemed kind of cool, the Sam 76 refreshing lager. But as I poured it into my glass, I got the hints of all the citrus aroma, and I'm like, oh, this is a fruit beer. I'm like, not a big fan of the fruit beer. So now, fruit beer and Sam Adams all put in one? Yeah, but you've never tried all the different Sam Adams. <sighs> I know there were quite a few that were actually really good. Well, this one is so fruity, you don't even taste like that. Every Sam Adams beer has like that core Sam Adams flavor, which I'm not a big fan of, but this is really, really, it's like, you know, it's like I got a whole orchard going on. <laughs> That's good. It's like a little surprise. Oh my goodness. Uh, and for me, I'm drinking a uh, Blue Point Summer Ale. But I can drink anything once. At, at, at least. the end of the day. Cheers. Cheers. Uh, listen, we hope all you guys actually grab a drink and join in, join us uh, in, in you're watching this or if you're listening to this on our podcast. Oh yeah. Just to kind of uh, kind of drink along with us. Give us a uh, you know, give us a listen. Give us a, give us a watch. Please, guys, leave some comments. Show us some support. We uh, we're still trying to grow this channel and grow our audience. Um, let us know if there's any particular movies that you want us to review. If you, uh, you know, if you if you have something that you're passionate about, we have no problem almost taking requests, mm -hmm. so to speak. Sure. In, this, in this pandemic that we have, since we can't go to the movies, we're kind of limited to really what's uh, what's going to be out. Uh, that's why we're kind of going to be doing some retro reviews probably over the next uh, few recordings that we have. Which is actually kind of fun. I enjoy doing. Yeah, it can, we get to you know, kind of catch up a little bit or go back to some of the things that we've either spoken about previously but we never actually did a review of uh, or kind of just watch something that we haven't seen in a while and, yeah. uh, and, and share our thoughts on it. So um, so again, like everybody, uh, Chris had mentioned this earlier, you know, it's uh, basically, it's, you know, we're in a, a COVID-19 world um, and, you know, I'm sure everybody's watching a lot of movies at home, but everybody still has that, you know, urge to go out, you know, to see a movie and all the movie theaters are closed. So a lot of these uh, drive-in movies are popping up again, which is actually, you know, even for someone like me, you know, it's a kind of fun and nostalgic. I mean, I have been, I've been to drive-in movies in the past, but many, many, many years ago. Uh, drive-in movies was a big thing in the 70s. Um, I lived in uh, Rosedale growing up, and there was a drive-in movie where Sunrise Cinemas, which is no longer there now, used to be. Um, and the last drive-in movie I think I ever saw was uh, in Westbury, when they, there was a, there was a drive-in movie in Westbury, um, I saw actually saw the mask there, which is like oh god, you carries a mask. Yeah, but these um, but those were actually really big. Like the the normal drive-in movie theater from oh, back in the day tremendous. was a much bigger screen. Yeah. Now, so what's happening now is is you have all these um, I don't know if they're portable or inflatable. Some of them are. Uh, some of them are. Yeah. But the one that we went to uh, at at the Gateway Playhouse. I think that's a more permanent structure. I think that yes. I think that has always been there. It, you know, I, it seems like because they have like they have they have the parking lot, you know, set up and and um, it's a good size. Uh, it's a decent size. Uh, oh, screen. screen! Oh, yeah, yeah. To my to me, it should it should have should have been a little bit higher so that way it's no matter who's parked in front of you, you can always see the entire screen. Because this time we got um, we got behind a car that was a little bit on the big side. And the, the bottom of the, the the left bottom of the screen was, was completely it was shrouded from us the whole time, but um, you know it was actually very interesting. And I have this is my second time uh, at this place. Um, I was there a couple weeks ago, uh, me and my wife, and to see Sunset Boulevard from 1950, which is a classic, you know, Hollywood black and white film. Gloria Swanson, uh, William Holden, like you know, four star, really good, really good movie. Um, but when we went, uh, there was only like maybe 15 cars there. Uh, 
we got there around uh, half an hour before the show and we were the first ones there. So when we were figuring out this one, like, you know, whoa, what time should we get there? I'm like, oh, it's Raiders, you know? We should at least get there half an hour early. Yeah. Well, we got there half an hour early yeah. and we were like, we were at least 20 cars deep at that point. At least 20 cars deep. Yeah. It was, um, I mean, we actually wound up getting a good spot and there were people definitely coming in behind us. Yeah. But basically, I think it comes down to the more popular the movie, the, the, the much more earlier. This was, this was definitely a, a very popular film. Uh, and it was, you know, but it was, it was nice to see. It was nice to kind of see, like, you know, people out supporting these uh, these playhouses and uh, and just, you know, getting out for a night. I, and they have a I whole lineup right. of films going up. Like that, that, yeah. What they did was is the, the previews. They actually had previews, they which had, was cool. The previews for the movie were, or were movies that they were planning on showing in the drive-in yeah. that were coming up. They had, like, three or four <coughs> films that they previewed. Yeah, um, with the dates that they were gonna they were gonna play them over the next coming weeks. It's kind of fun. We we brought our own food. Um, they don't, they actually don't sell any food there, so you bring your own. So we made our own popcorn. We brought sodas. We brought candy. You yeah. know, it was um. So it was a nice night of the movies. Yeah, it was it was really good. It was really good. So, the first movie in the the Indiana Jones franchise, <clears throat> thanks to George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Now I. I was thinking about uh, how often I've seen Raiders of the Lost stuff on the big screen. I, I saw it at least once, if not twice, when it came out back in '81 in the theaters. Um, and I just and I actually remember like scenes from that movie, seeing for the first time. It was it was such an impressive film at that time, um, and for a kid, it was great. <clears throat> but I distinctly remember leaving that theater with with my brother and a bunch of my friends, and intense, intense debate ensued as to whether or not that movie was better than Star Wars. And I can tell you right now, it was an even split. Half the people thought it was better than Star Wars and the other half were like, no way, nothing beats Star Wars, this and that. Um, at the end of the day, I consider both of those movies four star films. Star Wars obviously is greater in the, in the historical canon for, for um, in film history. Uh, it, was more, it was more impactful for sure. But Raiders, I think, is one of the absolute best movies of the 80s. And for, for me, personally, I actually, for, in terms of favorite films, Raiders ranks a little bit higher than Star Wars for me. I think both of them are in my top ten, but Raiders might be like number five or number six, and Star Wars is probably number eight, seven or eight. Um, but yeah, Raiders is one of my all-time all favorites. So I had seen it when it came out, and then I think I saw it on re-release, Sometime in the mid '80s, actually, wound up seeing it in, in East Meadow with my dad before I lived in another town, I think. Um, and then, uh, and that might have been it. I think since then, I've only seen yeah. it on uh, on on TV. I think the first time I saw that film, I was probably like six, five, six years old. It was probably like one of the first times I saw it. And I remember that the the one distinct thing I remember seeing that film, and I still get this feeling every time I watch it, is I want a fedora and I want a whip. <laughs> because that to me was like the coolest thing at the time like watching Harrison Ford have his hat on and just crack that whip the way that he does um, well I, I want a Karen Allen and, well, <laughs> <laughs> and to me I, I just uh, it's such a, an enjoyable film it's it's one of the best adventure films uh, I think I've, I've ever seen yeah the uh, the direction like I mean Johnny and Mo and I were talking about, like while we're watching this film just certain shots that are beautifully done by Spielberg and and how he put this film together. Yeah, just well crafted, thought out shots. You know, mm -hmm. not just random <clears throat> things or just you know, you know this the cat, you know, not just the same distance uh, from the action or camera angle, just like a static right. shot where you're just watching stuff happen. You know, with the constant, you know, and not super duper fast editing either. It wasn't like no. you know like just like you know each. You know, to me, it was really a work of art because every scene is just so well crafted and thought out, and some really distinctive shots. There know? was such a like. There's, uh, you know, you said this when the probably like thirty minutes into the film, and uh, you were saying how well paced this film was. Yeah. And I think that's like that's that's really well said. The the film it never feels slow. And it never feels like it's too fast. Rushed. It, it you, you always feel like you are where you're supposed to be. And it never feels like there's too much going on at once. No. Um, I mean, there are certain like kind of hyperkinetic scenes, like you know, in the beginning when you know when when all the spears are flying around, we're stealing the idol. But for the most part, 
the movie is like each scene is happening at a, at a certain pace and everything is given the right amount of attention and detail. Right. And the music in this movie. John is, Williams again. John Williams' music in this movie is perfect. Because um, the, the music is interwoven with every shot. It is, a, it is a part of the movie. It's a part of the scene. You know, it's not just background music or incidental. But I think that's one of Williams's <laughs> strengths is that when he crafts, and I, and I know other composers do this well, but I feel like John Williams really does this well. He he might be the best composer to do this. <coughs> so when he when he his music hits, it it's a part of the movie. Without that music, it is a completely different film. And I know yeah. you can say that about a lot of. I know you can say that about almost music in general with with film, but John Williams's themes, in particular, with the film itself and how it's almost identified yeah. by the music. <clears throat> oh yeah, in, in certain aspects, yeah, to me, I feel like nobody does it better. Yeah, aside from like I almost want to say like um, <clears throat> not like like almost like catchphrases, but like the catchphrase music, like the the, yeah. the, the theme that, you know, constantly goes throughout. Indie's theme. Yeah, yeah Indie's theme. Yeah. And it, you know, but the movie's not just that because because each, you know, all the even, you know, the lows and the highs and the in betweens of all the music, it is so well timed with mm -hmm. the action on the screen. Everything is it's just every balanced. everything is an everything that's happening in the score is enunciated. By yes. what's happening on the screen, yeah. you know, it's, you know, and not a lot of people can do that, right? I think I think back in the day that used to be, uh, I think more so the case. I think the score was really more delicately handled than a lot of movies today, where it's just kind of thrown together. But you watch that, like if you watch that movie, with the if if you were able to mute the music, it just completely changes everything. You know, the music is absolutely necessary. John John Williams' music, and uh, I, I do enjoy listening to, to soundtracks. So to me, his music you could almost not even watch the film, but just listening to, listening to that music, you can visualize what's going on from the from just the music itself. Like it's almost like you know the scenes. If you know the film well yeah. enough, you can almost picture the scenes in your head as you're listening to the music. And uh, I, I I don't know anyone else that that does it as well as he does. Oh, and for anyone out there that <clears throat> hears me coughing and thinking, oh my God, Johnny Moe's got COVID-19. It's not COVID-19. Thank goodness. I had a shot right before we started filming that went down the wrong pipe and kind of burned <laughs> out my trachea and everything. So <laughs> We were going to... I'm just coughing it through, so that's what it's from. Not we, from uh, being, being sick. We, we were going to uh, do a little you know, a toast to everybody out there, but uh, it went down the wrong pipe. And it almost killed me. <laughs> we were like, okay, we're going to edit that out and not put, a, put that in. Yeah, which I which just goes to show you that you know twenty thirty years from now when we don't care what anybody says we're gonna you know unleash Goody and Johnny Moe with the movies unedited raw and you know that footage will be on there and that'll be fun to see. We'll do a, a super duper uh, <laughs> deleted scene cut. Um, the I thought the casting in this is is fantastic. I mean, obviously Harrison Ford having such a a, a big showing as Han Solo um, and his connection with George Lucas really carried him over into this film. Obviously, we all know that Tom Selleck was supposed to be, excuse me, was supposed to be Indiana at first, right. but that would have made a completely different film. Oh, yeah, and and this movie came out a year after Empire's Tracks. After Empire came out in 81. <coughs> so, you know, so that re and, and, and Harrison Hans, was at like Harrison eye. Ford in Empire Strikes Back was very, you know, iconic. He was like, yep. not just a flash in the pan, with Star Wars, he was coming back for Empire, and he was very, you know, really pivotal in Empire. So I think, uh, yeah. you know, seeing him in, in Raiders of the Lost Ark the following year, you know, it's like, whoa, you know, two major, two major, major, roles. major franchises. Yes, big time. And in this one, he's the star. Yep. Uh, I don't know that I would quite say that Harrison Ford is the star of Star Wars. No, because to me, it's more of an ensemble cast. Yeah, it is. It's more of an ensemble, and he's definitely in there with, um, yeah, you know, Luke Skywalker, oh, you know, Mark, Mark, Mark and Carrie Fisher, Mark Fisher. Mark absolutely. Yeah. And then um, I love Karen Allen. When we were watching this, Karen Allen comes on screen when you know her first scene when they're in Nepal, and uh, I think that she is by far <coughs> the best out of all the Indiana Jones female cast members that they oh, had on, yeah. uh, compared to <coughs> Temple of Doom and Last Crusade, and I'm even not, compared to her role in. 
the fourth movie, which I didn't think was that good. Everybody was horrible in that movie. I do, yeah. I think I mean she was so well written in this. You know, such a, a strong character. Yeah. Uh, loved the, her interactions at the bar itself, and then how she deals with Indy uh, right off the bat, and then just how she presents throughout the film. Yeah, she. I mean, she's like a rough and tumble type girl. Yeah, she can handle herself, um, and she's not a blonde, <clears throat> which you know. It almost seems like you know who cares? She could be anything, but like when you look well, the next at, two films, you look at the next two films, and you know you're dealing with a blonde actress, and and you know these, they almost give off the impression like they don't they don't want to get their hands dirty, you know, because they're the beauty queens and they're pretty, and you know, you know they're goofy. Whereas Karen Allen will be fighting right alongside. She yeah she got <coughs> she got right into it. Yeah, the way they wrote Kate Capshaw's <coughs> character, and uh, I forget the German act the. The, the, German, <coughs> the German character from right. the Last Crusade, but yeah, they were they were di they were not written like they wrote Karen Allen. That's for sure. Yeah, like basically, I think you know, uh, Indiana Jones would always have to save those women, and whereas with Karen Allen, yeah, it, it could go either way. Right. <clears throat> you know, she could she could save him. Yeah. No, and I I really I really enjoyed Karen in this, and then uh, John Reese Davis, uh, I think is great. Yeah. Uh, and this is Sala. Um, I think he he obviously comes back in The Last Crusade, and I thought that was great for him to come back in that film. I missed him in The Temple of Doom, which is my least favorite out of... Uh, oh, no, that's not true. I'm sorry. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is, is, my, least, is my least favorite, uh, followed by Temple of Doom. So, um, and for anybody who doesn't know who John Rich Davies is, he was Gimli. He also played Gimli in Lord of the Rings. In Lord of the Rings trilogy for Peter Jackson. Yeah. Um, although I, know, I don't know that he's recognizable. It's so different because he also plays Treebeard, also. Oh, really? He plays Treebeard. He plays too? Treebeard too. Yeah, and Gimli. Yeah. So, um, you know, definitely uh, a completely different role for him. So but, now, when the movie starts, um, there's a uh, one of the people in this yeah. group is a, a, a very young role for. Uh, he doesn't look all that young. <laughs> no, but he's very unknown. Yes, yeah, uh, for Alfred Molina, <clears throat> he plays the guy that uh, goes into. What do you want to call it? The cave? The, yeah, or the the, uh, the crypt or whatever. Right, with, with Indy. <clears throat> with Indy, uh, who um, you know, kind of winds up betraying him, but um, you know, winds up getting killed. But um, yeah, no, it's um, the way the movie starts off is actually really good. Um, the, the very opening shot, I think, because um, what's the, um, <coughs> the Paramount? Paramount, yeah, yeah. Uh, but they do that with all the indie films. <coughs> yeah, they have the, I think the Paramount opening shot for all Paramount movies is this mountain. Right. And then um, it fades away to the mountain that um, Indiana Jones and his group are like <clears throat> marching. Right. Away, and you see it in the background. <clears throat> and you don't see Indiana Jones right away. You only see his back. And they slowly reveal him to you when he, when, uh, he finally turns around to crack his whip and, you know, for the traitor. But um, it's, it's a really... It's a really good hope. It's a great introduction. It's a, it's a great hope. It's a great to intro film. to Indy because at first he doesn't really, you don't hear him talk that much. Yeah. You just kind of see his actions at first. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and then they once they go into the, the cave portion of the crypt to uh, to grab the idol is like the first time like he, he starts to like talk a little bit. But it's such a tense moment. <laughs> so when they go into the cave, um, it's actually a really fun shot because there's so many different sequences to it. It's got like, all these, you know, scenarios. It's got, you know, the the traps. And it's got the, the booby traps. In it's thought, got all yeah. the booby traps. Um, <clears throat> and one of my favorite shots early on in the film is when um, he's getting ready to uh, take the idol off, um, and he's got the bag of sand, and he and he, he he's he's hefting it, and he feels like there's too much sand in his he's got it, and he takes some sand out of the bag, and he, and it starts to run through his fingers, and they just show the shot. From behind him, like, and all you kind of really see is like the side of his body and the hand and the sand going through and the idol in the, in, you know, behind it. And it's, you know, it's a great shot. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, and there's a lot of these, you know, throughout the film where they just present these, you know, uncommon angles and it just adds so much flavor. It's like, you know, to me, and they're, they're well thought out. I think Spielberg totally, like, you know, knew what he was doing. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, he just, you know, no, they're, they're, I, I can, I want, I, I wonder what all the storyboards would be like looking at this and how they set up these scenes, um, because I, I think, like you said, I think Spielberg had this really well thought out, um, and just the, the visuals, the style that he went with, 
to me was a little different because I mean he had he had great close-ups he had great like pullbacks that he mm -hmm. had in certain scenes depending on what he was going for but it was to me it was just it was so well done you know whose whose shoulder are they shooting over yeah you know? and even some moving shots where, where yeah. almost like, like people were in motion but the camera was in motion as well you know there was a couple of those too that were really really good um and then when indiana jones gets out of the cave you know you meet bella for the first time and he's good and then when they're chasing him you know which is a great chase scene. however it, yeah, the there jungle. is that one scene where where they show indiana jones running Oh, and, and then, then the, the guys tribes are right, are the tribe's right behind them, yeah. but then they do an overhead shot, and it looks like a much greater distance. <clears throat> and then shortly thereafter, they caught, they caught up to him again. You know, but sometimes you just see little, these little things. But uh, one of the things um, <clears throat> I was uh, explaining to Chris is that um, this, I don't feel like this movie takes place in the real world. Um, it's not presented as if this is what really would have happened if this was happening. Because um, it's because the movie itself, the origin of the movie, for the most part, is 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 basically, you know, it's it's hearkening back to the days of, of the serials from I almost want to say the thirties or the forties, you know, where they were, you know, and those were like kind of low budget cliffhanger type things, you know, these were the the things that were that were shown in between movies, you know, whether it was the Lone Ranger or Superman or you know, there was a you know a gazillion of them, you know, and um. They were all, you know, adventurous, and you know, the action was a little exaggerated, you know, and I and I feel like this movie is that, you know, it's an a, it's an adventure film, and it's a lot of things seem like it could never happen that way, right. but that's that's what the movie is. The movie is this crazy offbeat adventure that is not meant to be, I think, analyzed and say, okay, that would never happen. That would never. <laughs> and that was George, though, too, because George grew yeah. up on those serials, and that was one of the yes. reasons why he wrote Star Wars the way yeah. he did. Uh, and the same thing when he created Indiana. It was, I, again, I think the serials for him were such a, a big influence on, on his life. Yeah, and that's why I don't think the movie is like, you know, some people might say the movie's a little, you know, corny or dated or, you know, it's, you know, it doesn't make sense. And it's like, you know, it's, it's not taking itself too seriously, but it's not throwing all logic away either. It definitely had you know it's not completely off the wall of no i think it's i think it's logic within its own world yeah it's it's just to me it, it's slightly off reality um and that's and that's how you get away with everything that happens in the film because it's all presented in that in that consistent style of of how things you know well, it was like one thing like reacts the... you know these chain reaction type yeah. thing you know these you know all these chain reaction type scenarios were were built to create suspense, you know, in the sequence of events. And that's exactly what they did in these serials back in the day, where it's like, this led to this, and, and, and oh my God, are they going to escape? Are they going to escape? But in, back in the day, in the serial, you had to, for the serials, you had to wait to the next week to see what happened. Right. But in here, you get the whole in, entire film. Well, you know, the one thing that, that George loves to do is um, he always has these different landscapes throughout his films. You know, he was very famous for doing that with the Star Wars films, and he does that with Indy too, because you go from... The jungle to the to the city life, you know, to the school life in uh, which I, I believe is supposed to be New York, to Nepal, to Nepal, to Cairo, to Egypt, and then the, into the desert, you know, and then at the end when they go to that island, which we think was actually think, shot in Hawaii, yeah, because um, that was the, one of the credits. Yeah, this is why you stay to watch the credits because you get so much, you get so much interesting at it. But the film was uh, was filmed on location in Tunisia. Uh, Hawaii, you know, Hawaii might have been the jungle. No, that would go no, Peru. Peru is probably <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Peru, Tunisia, Peru, and Hawaii, and then of course um, I think Elstree Studios <coughs> in England. Yeah, yeah, on the, on the, the film yeah. lot. Yeah, but I mean, I think yeah, I think that last scene where they where they open up the ark, uh, that island that they're filming, I'm I'm pretty sure that's that's got to be Hawaii. <coughs> yeah. But uh, just you know, so interesting the different you know uh, textures and the between uh, the between the jungle, the the coldness and the snow of Nepal, and then you get to this the, the desert, um, just all these different cool landscapes that you and you just, you really feel like you went on an adventure because it's just it's all these different locations that you're going to. It's not it's not a city, right? You know, it's 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 completely broken up. And you know how you know I'll usually say you know oh if only they made this film in black and white it might have been better. I, to me. I disagree. This is to me. This is a film 
that that is better in color. Um, you know, even though it doesn't have a very wide palette because it's a lot of it's a lot of browns and you know and sand like it's almost like sand, well, cause a lot sandy, of the film sandy, sandy, place sandy when yellow or something. Yeah. You know, there's you know there's a decent amount of green too in earth earth colors, but it um. <clears throat> I, I think color works well for this film. I think it, um, you know, this is a movie that to me, I mean, you, you could have filmed it in black and white, I'm sure, but I think I think it looked better in color, you know. So you know, like I said, though, so I'm not one of these people like you know, color is the ad, color is the devil, you know. Color and black and white are good, yeah. Depending on you know what you're making, you know. <coughs> and also, to me, this movie is, was 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 a good choice of color. You know, there's some nice, uh, fun little tidbits with this, some behind the scenes. <coughs> When um, when Indy and Sala are taking the Ark out of the its uh, its hole its casing when they're lifting it up in the hieroglyphics, yeah, there's a uh, there's a picture of R two and three PO. Well, inside. there's a there's a couple um, yes. in that scene, and one of the, some of them are easier to spot than the others. I think the one where when they're lifting the cover off, it's on the Post. It's on the right. post. There's yeah. a when 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 it's when he's lifting the cover the oh, what was it, big stone like yeah covering, the stone the stone cover that we that we both came to the conclusion that there would be I don't think there's they would lift it that stone piece was probably a few <coughs> a few hundred pounds yeah. if not more because it was I mean it was like it's solid stone it's like, like stone I, concrete, there's whatever. no there's no way the two of those really? guys lift that thing up but if you're watching the scene um, to the left. Which would be, I think, to Indiana Jones's right because he's facing you. Um, there's a column there with all you know hieroglyphics and etchings in there, and there's a and there's a small of uh, caricature of of what is supposed to be C3PO and yeah. R2D2. Um, <clears throat> that's pretty interesting. And the other um, Star Wars reference, we believe, is on the plane when they're leaving. In the uh, beginning, in the beginning of the film, when Indy's leaving. With that uh, little prop plane that he's getting oh, on, like a water, like a one thing, like a water, like plane. A water plane. Yeah. So it, the the engravings, the identification tag on the plane is O B C P O, right? Yeah. So uh, Obi Wan Kenobi and C three P O. Right. So that's to, to us. That's like a nice little nod. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know that I never noticed that until I, I never, I never noticed. <coughs> I knew about R2 and 3PO. I never noticed the tag on the plane until tonight when we watched it. Yeah, well, I, I at one point, you know, I um, I think I went online or whatever just to, you know, find all the Easter eggs um, for Raiders of the Lost, of, you know, of a lot of those. And then I really got into, uh, you know, all the identifications and stuff in, 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 the, in Raiders of the Lost Ark. And, <coughs> right, the plane they mentioned, and that was, and that's obvious, and <clears throat> the one on the post is obvious, but the uh, there is another hieroglyphic in there that you mentioned, and that is much harder to spot because I think it's I think it's further away. It's in a <coughs> almost like uh, shaded portion because yeah. it's as they're moving. Yeah, it's yeah, it's hard to see. I think you I think um, if you knew where to look and you had a, and you had it in high def and you could freeze frame it, I think you'd find. I it. think you'd find it. Yeah, but the other, and the other cool thing too is not a lot of people know this when. Uh, so when Indy goes to fight the big swordsman in the middle of Cairo, um, when he's he's trying to find Marion, the swordsman that whips out the sword and starts doing that whole thing. Yeah, it's almost it was, like the crowd parts. Yeah, the crowd parts ways. Indiana turns around and all of a sudden there's this big guy there. You know, and you think you're going to have this huge sword fight. And it was originally scripted for that, that Indy was going to have that. But uh, when they went to go film that scene... Harrison was uh, very ill. He had over 100 degree fever. There was no way that he could film the scene. Um, but they had to get the scene done. So, uh, so Spielberg's like, he goes to George. He's like, how, how are we going to do the scene? Harrison can't fight. He can yeah. barely stand up. And if you look at him in the scene. Oh, he looks. He doesn't look No, good. he doesn't look well at yeah, all. Yeah, he yeah, looks yeah. very like, sweaty. And you would never notice that unless you knew this story. Right. And you, and you, because I remember, in, especially this viewing, Purposely looking at him mm -hmm. to see what kind of state, and, he, and yeah, he, he looks he bad. Look he looks bad. And so basically, what George ended up doing was he just said, "How about he just pulls his gun out and shoots, shoots him. him?" Like he's like, "Wouldn't that be funny?" He's like, "He just he doesn't fight him. He just pulls his gun out." Yeah. Uh, and that's exactly what they ended up doing. And to me, I thought that scene worked perfectly like that. To it's me, like, it, it added a little bit of humor into that scene. Uh, it's what I feel Indy would do. 
Yeah. At that point in time with the character. So yeah, that like, kind of all um, that went well. It's like a twist in that old joke, you know, like, you know, you know who, brings, Don't bring who, a, who brings a sword to a gunfight, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, and that was always a, a big crowd pleaser moment. Like, like when that happens, and I, I remember seeing that for the first time, like the crowd went, you know, yeah. but that, you know, can, you know, you, you got to realize, you know, you know, some of these movies that you watch, you've seen over and over and over again. Yeah. But there, there was a time when you saw it for the first time and you didn't know what was coming. Right. You know, and that's, you know, it's hard to think back, you know, you know, you know, try to imagine yourself watching Raiders of the Lost Ark for the first time and not knowing what's going to happen. Right. You see this big, huge guy with a sword that he whips out, and he's like, oh, my God, and he's going to have to fight him. Yeah. Or where, you know, where the movie's going to end. You don't know. Like, what? oh, my God, what's going to happen? Right. How does this movie end? I can't wait. Yeah. You know, now you watch it, you know where it's going. You know, when they get into the... So when we saw this episode tonight, uh, when we saw this uh, last episode, when we saw this movie, the, the scene when uh, Indy goes down into the Well of Souls, and uh, he drops down, and the cobra comes up. In the old yeah. VHS tapes and theatrical, and, release. and theatrical release, if you watched it, there is a pane of glass that's in between Indy and the Cobra, and it's it's you can notice it, right? Because these are not CGI snakes. Exactly, these are these real are it's all real. So you can you can actually see it, but um, you know with the with all the digital releases uh, between DVD and Blu-ray, apparently they've managed to erase it. They've been able to like kind of clean that up and take that out. Um, and it's, you can no longer see it. So when we were watching it, I was telling him, I was like, oh, I wonder what, well, what he, they're going to play. No, he said, you know, I wonder what version this is. And I yes. said, what does that mean? I said, what are you talking about? He goes, well, and, and then uh, when the, and you couldn't see it. He goes, he goes this is the... It's the, it's the newer. It's like the one that's been cleaned up, <laughs> the digital version. So I'm actually, I'm actually curious as to what other changes there are between, uh, you know, this... You know, I, I don't know that anything would rise to the, the level that they did with DT, where they swapped out the guns with walkie-talkies, which to me was ridiculous. But in this case, it may be just like, you know, just getting rid of... The, I think it might have like hiding things. Yeah, getting rid of the things that would some people would consider to be mistakes. Right. Yeah, because you know? I, I think that comes back again in, the, in another scene with the snake, and there's still like the pane of glass there. Yeah, it could be. Later on, I think especially like with Karen Allen when she falls down, the same thing yeah. happens. But um, but you know, it's interesting though. Do you can w w which would you prefer to watch the original theatrical version where you can see it or the cleaned up version where you can't? I mean, I kind of I I find it fun when you know those things. Like if you're the if you're the person on the inside that knows, hey, you know what? We hid this here. We did this, yeah. and you can you know you'll point it out and you'll see it because once you see it, you can't unsee it. Yeah. And when you're watching these newer versions, you look for that. So to me, it's kind of, you know, it's fun to like point that out to people that maybe don't even know, like, oh, listen, like, the, like oh, this is the newer version, but the old version, it, it had this where you, th this is how they filmed it because they had to protect the actors. So, um, I, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I think either way for me, I'm fine. I mean, listen, do I, I like to watch, I always like to watch the original versions for the most part, uh, with right. a few exceptions. Right, because because right now you have a scenario with Star Wars: A New Hope, where um, there's some guy out there that puts together as close as possible recon reconstructing the the closest original, to original theatrical, theatrical version of Star Wars, which yeah. is almost impossible to buy now anywhere. You like, can't. Yeah, you, you actually. I mean, the can't only see the it. only version that they, that you have is a uh, um, through one of the DVDs DVD releases they. They put out the original cuts, but even those are based on. Um, oh, they're they're based on a on a. They're not based on the original, prints. Right. Like the original. Okay. It's not based on the original masters. It's mm -hmm. based on like a a cut of a cut. So it's it's still yeah. not like crystal clear as it could be. So from a purist standpoint, I could see where, you know, that's appealing because you know you almost want to you know. You want to you want to see what people saw in the theaters for the first time, right? You know, I, I don't know that I like, um, you know, the edited version because I think like even now, like um, if you, like when you buy like I think the original Star Trek, TV show on on DVD, mm -hmm. like I think 
they're all cleaned up versions because it's you know Star Trek was from the late sixties. But what's your obvious? But what's your definition of cleaned up version? Because <laughs> everything be, looks crisp. Because this is a conversation for another day too. Because yeah. there's, I, I think your your definitions of things when it comes to like HD and Blu-ray. Well, no, this is not an HD. Like the planets used to, they they made the planets look like as if they were filming it today. Like if like, like if they were doing Star Trek today. They made everything that looked cheesy. They were they swapped it out with like cleaner, sharper images. Of, you know, well, that's that's different. Yeah, and I, Those, I well, that's that's different. That's altering what was actually. You know, I, I want to see the original. I want to yeah. see the original. Because I, I think in all of these cases, the original stands on its own. The original Star Wars that was released yeah. had the impact and the livability. It wasn't like it was. Everyone was like, "Oh, this would be great," but I wish somebody would clean it up. Like nobody said that. Right you now, all these original things, you know, ET was huge, you know, even people with the guns. Like Raiders of the Lost Ark was huge, even with the glass. But the difference with the difference with the ET and that you're talking about is <coughs> they actually went in and they put more scenes in. So it wasn't just that they changed the shotguns for the walkie-talkies; oh, okay. they actually added scenes into the film. Mm -hmm. So that's what made it the like special edition, whatever they ended up calling it. Gotcha. Uh, when they re-released that, I think that was in 2000 or 2001 when that came out. Oh yeah, I mean, and there's all there's even multiple editions of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. There's, oh yes, if the there's the theatrical release, yeah. then there's a special edition, and then there's one that has everything. But when it comes to the Anna Jones, I don't think they added scenes, but they, all they ended up doing was cleaning up some of the effects that uh, yeah. at the time they didn't have the technology for, but they do now to just make it more seamless. And I, I don't think I have too much of a problem with that. I can you can you, I can you, you because you, I know what the original yeah, was, but you could take that too far because you could use that logic on any film that's been made in the past hundred years and say, oh, wouldn't it be nice to go back to, you know, Gone with the Wind and clean it up a bit? Well, to me, it's, it's all a like, matter of... I don't know that I would want to do that. But that it's much. all, you know what, though? But it's up to... It, that, to me, that's whatever the director's vision is. Yeah. That's up to the director. Yeah. Because it's their film. Now, it's, somebody, like, it's different if it's like the studio's looking for a cash grab. Hey, wouldn't it be cool if we did this and then we'll have another version and we can release it and yeah. people are going to buy it? To me, that's a cash grab. That's not right. But if, if Spielberg was like, you know what? I never got to finish this scene. I want to do something with this. And somehow we'll put it out in a special edition. To me, that's different because he's, he's trying to add something to create, to complete his vision that he wasn't able to do when he originally filmed it. Because just for whatever reason, the technology wasn't there. Time wasn't there. Um, so to me, that's a very director-specific. And as a fan, you either continue to watch the version you grew up with and you love, for example, for Star Wars is a great example because you have the original cuts and all those people that want those original cuts because yep. that's what they grew up with, that's what they want, uh, on, D, you know, on VHS for so many years but they want the higher quality or do you just continue to deal with the special editions because that's what they give you? Yeah, and it, it just gotta be careful because it, it could be a slippery slope because at some point you're gonna get somebody who has the power to do things and doesn't have the, the the ethical purity to not to, to not know where the line should be drawn. Well, well, you know, there's a way. There's a way. Yeah, there's a way to there's there is a line there, and when when someone in power crosses the line and doesn't even know it, like then they're making a bad decision. But you know, because they have the power to do yeah. it, that they say that justifies it. I, th I just think with, with this example, I think is completely different. I think they just yeah. went back and they just they touched up some of the special effects, yeah. um, which to me does not. Um, deter from the film at all. I don't think it brings it down at all. I think it just it cleaned it up to the point where now you don't even notice it. The majority of people probably don't even notice. I mean, you got to talk about your general movie audience goers <coughs> that have no clue that that was even done to the films because they didn't notice it the first time around when they saw it. Right. That could be. You know, the, the, for most of the people that that are in the know, that to me that's a much smaller percentage in the population than the people that than your your general audience viewer that's going to the movies. Um, of course, we're probably going to be more of the sticklers than those people. Right. But to me, for them, I don't think they care, and I don't even think they notice. Right. Now, one of the things I noticed in the credits, which I, I don't know that I was uh, acutely aware of, is uh, Industrial Light and Magic have a credit in the film. Yeah. And I was like, and you were just like, of course. And I was just like, I was like, well, you know, when was Industrial Light and Magic created? George started. He started ILM with. The with the new hope, like I think he he started up the FX company. Then, does ILM have a credit in Star Wars? I I don't know if it has a credit in a New Hope. I'm sure by Empire Strikes Back it, it does. does. Okay. 
Um, so it's 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 probably at the I think it was like it, inception. It was, it was in its infancy yeah. and inception when uh, A New Hope came out because he had to create all of that technology, all that special effects technology. Um, yeah, so that was actually that was actually interesting. To see. If you go and look at the special edition now for A New Hope, absolutely, ILM is credited with that because they created and added scenes for it. Oh, okay. but if you go back to the original theatrical cut, I would have to watch that and see if ILM gets yeah. credit for that. But. Uh, I mean, it's, it, this is just such a fun film. Um, I, I think, you know, the whole religious tone to it uh, always intrigued me. Um, you know, the, the, what is, what is the, the Ark of the Covenant? What's in it? You know, the, these broken tablets uh, that, that Moses came and smashed down. Yeah. You know, how they explain that and they go through all that, I think, is, is very interesting. Um, what power does that truly have? Mm -hmm. is, is, uh, you know, Indy's always the skeptic, you know? He's the skeptic, but he does have some belief. And then, of course, you see a yeah. little bit more in the Last Crusade because of his father and, and and why he has some of those beliefs. You know, and I'm actually glad that they went with the Ark of the Covenant in this movie, because you know, in this type of movie, the obvious choice is to go with the Holy Grail, like right. like like the end all be all archaeological find that anybody would ever think of is you know the Holy Grail, the Cup of Christ. You know, but you know, going with the Ark of the Covenant to me is, you know, it was it was a, a bolder choice. I think it's, I think it's a less, certainly a less known artifact. I don't even know oh, when I was yeah. a kid that I had even heard of the Ark of the no. Covenant, and I'm assuming it's not made up. Like I think, I think, I think there is some type of Ark. I think, yeah, there is something I, I think that's there. something that I don't is pulled from a Christian you know lore lore yeah. yeah I don't think it's completely fabricated for the film but I think it's just it's interesting because you know when they go through the whole how the how the ark was uh, uh, you know made with uh, from the Hebrews and it was in uh, Jerusalem and then it got uh, you know raided or moved and right. it's like they don't explain how they don't know right. now some of that stuff might moved. be made up and well, that's sure funny, it is because you know, I don't think there actually is a staff of Ra and, you know, yeah like, no, I, I think all that like stuff they, 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 I think they built some mythology around it but it was a it was a cool concept because I can tell you um, when they show the scene when he when he's explaining to the guys, uh, one of the guys who I think looks like Ned Beatty, right? yeah. <laughs> um, but it's not him. Um, when they pull out the book and they show him the picture, yeah. you know that actually is a a, a pretty powerful scene. Um, you know, just because you don't know because <clears throat> people from those times, how how could they explain? what they can't explain like yeah. they couldn't explain what that that power was whether via science or right. some type of faith or, or right. myth so like you know these rays of light that are coming out in indies like you know uh lightning power of power, power of, god, of god you know now keep in mind this is 1936 you know so like science is not where it was then where it is today of course where so many things have been explained away and this and that you know not that we're dealing with you know people that think you know you know the the, the wind is you know the gods you know whisper. right there, you know, there was a god for everything right you know but yeah. but you're dealing with a, a less scientifically yeah. aware group because you, you realize okay this this is three years before you know orson wells fooled everybody into thinking the martians were landing you know and i can tell you right, right. now there were people that thought yes. the War of the Worlds was really happening. You know what I mean? You know, and I, my grandmother was one of them. <laughs> my grandmother was hiding the kids underneath, underneath the kitchen table. You know, it's like, you know, so it's like, you know, people got to realize that, you know, movies that take place many decades before current day, it's a completely different mindset and level of level of technology. Yeah. You know, but I just I always found that interesting with this film, uh, and especially the end scene when uh, Indy just Indy knows he somehow figures out, don't open your eyes. This was not meant for man's eyes, right? And if you if you open them, you're gonna pay for it, right? It's yeah. kind of like one of those things where um, you are not supposed to witness the power of God, yeah, and uh, and if you do, the price of of, of seeing that is is your life. Yeah, you pay you pay for it with your life, and I I've, I always found that somewhat interesting, and uh, and the fact that you know Indy and uh, Marion go unharmed just because they kept their eyes shut the entire time, 
was was always interesting. Yeah, yeah, no, it was. What and sometimes you just watch some of these movies, and it's like you have questions, mm-hmm. and it's like you don't know if you'd ever get the answer, or if anybody knows the answer, or if there even is an answer. Right? Is it left up to interpretation? You know, because like you know, like. Per, the, the ultimate example of that is Pulp Fiction. What's in the suitcase? Yes. You know what I'm saying? So, Number one question. Now, now, this is nowhere near that level, but like, you know, when when, um, when Belloc and um, Marion, Marion? Yeah. Marion or Marianne? Marion. When yeah. Belloc and Marion are, are in the tent, you know, in Cairo, and they're, they're drinking, Belloc pulls out, you know, a bottle of something that's, you know, his family oh, label. Yes. And, you know, me and Chris are sitting there going, like, I wonder what they're drinking. Like, what type of... It's not wine. It's not beer. It's definitely right. it's a, hard it's, liquor it's or something. Liquor. But it's clear. And the label is not in English. It's not, it's not easily so viewed. It's, it's clear. And we're like, you know, is it vodka? Is it gin? Is, right. it, is it like a white rum? rum? You know, like, yeah, exactly. Is it a, is it a white rum? Yeah. And it's like, you know, I think he's French. Right. So it's like, you know, is that a clue? And, you know, you just want to sit there and say, what is Belloc drinking? You know, yes. Google it and what's the answer? You know, and you know what? It, it probably doesn't matter, but I'm curious if there is an actual answer to that question, what he is drinking. <laughs> you know, just one of, one of those mysteries. But, I mean, overall to me, it's still this movie still holds up. You were talking about that before, like, a, you know, a film like this from uh, 1980, 1981. 81. Um, you know, does this still hold up? I think I think it absolutely does. The practical effects, just as much fun now as it was then. I mean, I was telling uh, I was telling John the scene when the the truck that Indy thinks Marion's in tips over and explodes, and uh, you see Indy turning away and kind of shielding himself from the blast. Like that's a real effect. Like that's, that, yeah, that was a practical effect. They blew, they blew up a truck. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm looking at that. I'm, I think all those explosions, like when they blew up the plane and the, the yeah. tower, like all that stuff, to me was just truck. it's so well done. I mean, obviously, listen, if anyone who's ever been to uh, Hollywood Studios in, in Disney World or Disneyland knows they they do this stunt every single day there, multiple times where they blow this stuff up. Um, but it's really cool to to see those effects, and I think it really holds up so well in this film, and. Uh, just from from start to finish, uh, with the, the music, the characters, uh, there, there's so much to like about this film. Uh, I'm sure people still nitpick stuff. One of the best nitpicks, in my opinion, is from The Big Bang Theory. Oh, what's that? When Sheldon's girlfriend, Amy, uh-huh. watches the Raiders of the Lost Ark with him. Uh-huh. And Sheldon gets so excited to watch this with her. <clears throat> and she goes and tells him, she's like... What did he really do? He's like, Indy did nothing. Like he was not a pivotal, like person in this film whatsoever. The Nazis would have eventually they they basically ended up where they would have whether he interfered or not, because eventually they would have found the ark, they would have opened it, and they all would have died anyway. Right. Well, <clears throat> would they have found the ark? Would, I they think, have, would they have just dug up the entire area I until think they found it? I think eventually they would have dug it up. They had the manpower. I think eventually they would have dug and found it. Maybe, maybe not, because I don't think they were on unlimited time. You know, at the end of the day, they're getting their orders from the Fuhrer, and at some point, Hitler's going to say, it's not there, Come home, look, go look for something else. Uh, I don't, I don't know. You know, Maybe like, if, he was, like, if he was so obsessed, you know, there's going to be a telegram from the from the home base saying, "Time to come home. You've wasted enough time here." Right. You know, and and you know they don't want to go, but they're going to get orders to. But go. they also weren't that far off from where they were digging, and eventually, no, they no, they were Where they were digging wasn't going to be the right spot. So interestingly enough, um, uh, when they start, when when Indiana Jones and his group start that digging, you see all those clouds in the background. Um, it, yes. it reminded me a little bit of uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which was four years earlier, um, when the clouds were coming up to, what do you call it, Devil's Mountain, whatever you call it. Yeah, Devil's Peak or... Devil's Peak or something like that. Yeah. You know, the clouds when the aliens were coming in. And then even when they were doing, um, at the end, where they were going to, like, you know, almost like a, a special place to unveil the Ark, they had, like, you know, these lights in a row. It, it reminded me very much of again, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, of when they were, you know, when they set up that place 
you know, the meet with the aliens where they had like the runway and the light. You know, it it, it reminded me like you know not well. I mean, it was his, it's his own. It's he made both movies. He made he's not stealing. Yeah. He's not copying from anybody. But visually, it it reminded me of that. Not that it was like you know a, a copy, but it, but but I was. But that could have been that could have been his own. Um, Toss into, yeah, into, yeah, into, for, yeah. For like his own nostalgia exactly. that, he, that he threw in there, his little Easter egg. Now, one thing I would, uh, the scene where um, they finally escape from the tomb when they push the rock out and they can go to the plane and that big guy comes mm -hmm. out, like that's a scene that's really kind of funny because it's almost like it comes out of nowhere. Like this guy that comes out, the big muscle big guy, German, yeah, man. you know, he's not interested in what's happening. Like he's not in, he's not there. Oh, I found Indiana Jones. I gotta capture him. He's just like he just wants to fight. There's a guy out there yeah. fighting. You know, punching out Germans. He's like, oh, you know, let's see, let's you know, let's see what we can do. You know, it, it really is a, a funny departure. You know, it's a great scene because he's just out there. No matter, he's just like, he's, and he's always like, you know, come on, come on. You know, yeah. you know, yeah. it's really kind of funny. Uh, so incidentally, um, to to sidebar a little bit. Um, if you've ever heard of um, the fan film um, that those, oh, that these yeah. kids made, there's a bunch of kids made uh, a shot shot remake of Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, over the course of like seven years, which I have yet to see that film. It's it's not easy to find, I think. But I saw a documentary on that film, um, you know, that was made within the last couple of years, and what it, what it was was what half of it was all the guys talking about making the film and the other half was basically what because what happened was is there was one scene from that film that they never did because it was too complicated um and it was that scene yeah. in the airstrip where you know the plane and the, the fight and all that and the other half of the movie was them getting together as adults and and doing that scene and these guys weren't rich and famous you know this this movie didn't make them you know Superstars. They were. They all had their own. They all had their own jobs and problems. This and that. And they decided to get together, and they had donations from a ton of people and backers. Like you know, one guy had to take like two weeks off from his job. He almost got fired. You know, these like, and they actually wound up filming uh, that scene as adults and injected it. I guess assuming I assuming they injected it into the footage that they had. Yeah. So at some point, you could actually go and watch. And apparently, it's like, it's probably. One of the greatest fan films of all time, I would say, and I forget what it's called. Um, I think it's called Raiders and Raiders of the Lost Ark, an adaptation or something like that. Um, but I would say that is in the highest echelons of fan films, along with I think maybe Hardware Wars, which was the very very first Star Wars fan film, which is great. You know, that's just so much fun. Like that came out. That, I think I think Hardware Wars came out before Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's how old it is. It's that's a lot of fun. That's pretty funny. So listen, I'm, I'm um, happy that we got to do this. Well, so and just to talk about the end of Raiders, how yeah. how the movie ends. Uh, so the way the movie ends is is that you know they they got the Ark and um, the government has it and they oh, put it in a box and they roll it uh, in a into a, some storehouse. It's Area uh, Fifty One. Is it? How do we know it's Area Fifty One? Is that just well, a theory? I think it was a guess, and then it's confirmed in. Oh, it's confirmed in, the last, in, in the Kingdom of the Crystal Kingdom Skull. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, or yeah. Area Fifty One. So the the end of that movie is um, very. Uh, I want to say it's an it's a, an homage or a throwback to um, how Citizen Kane ends, yeah. where like you know the giant warehouse and something of importance is buried in there. Rosebud, yeah, Rosebud. Um, so it has a. Yeah, the ending is is very much uh, you know. Um, but I, I remember when I first when I first, came, when I first saw really that that warehouse at the end. I'm looking at all those crates and like I I love a good conspiracy theory. I'm just like looking at all these cool crates and like what's, what's in, in these? There. Yeah, and, and now like, granted, it's not all arcs of the covenant. It's not right. all like you know giant things of mystical power. It's not it's all just, alien. It's just uh, it's spaceships. just all it's it's it's. It's almost inconceivable. It's so much stuff. Right. And does it, they does, just get their hands on? Does anybody even know what's in there? It's just, this is just where everything goes. Well, I mean, they are supposed to do a fifth indie film, and I think it would be really interesting if they. Uh, I mean, I mean, see, unfortunately, they used that scene already in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Whereas, if they could have done something like a list of artifacts that they have to get 
from that storage unit. Mm -hmm. I thought that would have been yeah, that would have been interesting. And so they have to, you know, they get the, the crashing from Roswell or whatever they deemed the crashing from um, in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and they use that. But at least they did bring back the warehouse. And one of the cases cracks, you, you see, see the Ark of the yeah. Covenant. Um, uh, slightly, it's exposed, like the corner of it's exposed. And I, I think I definitely want to give props to the monkey in the movie. Very well trained. Very, yeah, because today... That movie, would that, be CG. that that monkey, that entire monkey performance would be CG, and they would have him doing everything. So, like you know, you know, having a CG monkey do a Heil Hitler is nothing compared to a real monkey able to do it. Being you know doing that in the scene, yeah. you know, and however they got him to do that, you know, it's like you know you got to sit there and say you know, you know, this is a real monkey doing all this stuff right. and all so these shots, to train and that's a great that. monkey, yeah. you know. And when he dies, that's actually a really um, that was a really good scene, like with the uh, when he throw when Indiana Jones throws the date up in the air and yeah. it goes in slow motion and then the hand comes out, comes out, you know, and that that was a really uh, cool scene back in the day, seeing that for the first time. Yeah, um, yeah. Overall, I, this is absolutely one of my all time favorite films. I think for both of us, it's in both I of our top tens. Yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah, it's way it's high in my top ten. It's probably like number five or number six, um, or at least number seven. Um, and it's um, I never get tired of it. No, you know there was that's, just, that's no. You're absolutely right. Like you, I never get tired of watching this film. I'll be honest with you. Any movie in your top ten, you've probably seen dozens upon dozens of times, and you never get tired of it. That's why True. you like it. And I can say that for almost every film in my top ten, it's like, well, I gotta say that for almost every film in my top one hundred. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but but yeah, like like that's a movie you could watch over and over and over again. And you know, it's it's cr as crazy as it sounds. I'm sure there are people out there that have never seen it for one, for one reason or another. Yeah. You know, and that to me is just insane. Because Spielberg, I think, is one of the greatest directors of all time. And certainly one of the greatest directors of the past 30, 40 years. 40 years. Yeah. I, mean, um, I mean, he got his start in the 70s, which was like the sure second, was. second golden age of, uh, of cinema. Yeah. Um, but he started like he started touting off some big hits. Yeah, and and even you know even in 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 later times like um, yeah, you know not that I would consider Ready, Ready Player One a classic, but I think That's it was so enjoyable. but it was a really good enjoyable movie that in the hands of somebody else would have been a much lesser film. Yeah, you know he he knows how to do things right, you know, and I and to me I think his you know, you know you can argue about his masterpieces, but like to me his. His masterpieces are uh, Jaws, Jaws, Schindler's List, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and E.T. E.T. I think those five films you could argue endlessly. We'll I, I don't know that E.T. would would ever There's hold so that. Many, you I don't know that E.T. would ever hold the, the the best one of all time. But he's E.T. I still talk about. It. I mean, my God, there's Jurassic Park. Saving Private Ryan, you oh, know one yeah. of the like okay. you know one of the like best, yeah. in my opinion one of the best war movies yeah, ever made too. You know there's, there's there's it's he has such a library of films right and it's to all, choose and from. it's all not the same film over and they're over so again. different and they're all different genres you know because you know I don't know Jaws is a thriller Close Encounters is a sci-fi yeah. not for nothing Close Encounters of the Third Kind is one of the best one of the absolute best science fiction films ever made yeah. Um, Remember he did AI, which is an interesting film too. AI is, and that's a that's a, like you know depending on who you're talking to, that's that. a hit or miss. But you know he he has done some really really great yeah, AI films. is sci-fi. Um, Raiders of the Lost Ark is, is just adventure, and I, I always tell Chris. Did he do Catch Me If You Can? Oh yes, he did. Yes, yeah, yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, no, that's, sure a, that's a good one too. That's, that's, that's like that's that like a, almost like a suspense movie. Yeah, but I always told Chris, I said, you know. To me, the uh, one of the greatest adventure movies of all time is Gunga Din from 1939. <laughs> yeah. He's got to watch it because I can tell you right now, Gunga Din is on par with her. Gunga Din is a four star movie <laughs> on par with almost anything, and it's one of the greatest adventure films of all time. Pretty fun. And so, we're gonna have to watch that too one day. So, I think it's gonna be it for episode 35. I think so. All right, <clears throat> I'm gonna finish my citrus beer. <laughs> uh, guys, we hope you stuck around for this whole thing, we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you have not seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, do yourself a favor, go watch that movie. And if you're stuck at home and you have access to a drive-in theater, 
a drive-in movie, I would I would recommend you do it. Go and, you support know, your and, local. And, yeah, and take Go a chance. See something that you've never seen before. You know, yeah. uh, the Gateway has been showing movies from. 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, all the way up to today. It's, yep. You know, it's like, you know, and I like that diversity. It's not, you know, just the same it's not, stuff. It's not one era. You know, yeah. yeah so I would say, one. yeah, when I went to see Sunset Boulevard, there was maybe 15, 16 cars. But when we went to the greatest today. Yeah. And like I told you, like, there I was like that, 50. I think that movie was a very specific niche of people that would go and see that. Where Raiders, yeah. you're, you're, you're reaching a wider audience. We actually bought the tickets only like two or three days ago mm -hmm. and we were actually surprised i was like wow i can't believe it's not sold out i think after i bought it 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 became sold out very quickly yeah yeah because i mean not for nothing you can only fit so many cars in that parking lot yes. you can't just keep selling forever so yeah but, we got um, there we're we gonna totally keep, go back we're gonna keep looking out for uh for for drive-ins as uh as well as our own little projection screen that we're gonna do outside as well yeah so we'll get to do some movies here as well but guys i hope you uh enjoy Keep watching the movies. We yep. will talk about it as much as we can. We'll yep. uh, on to the next episode later this week, hopefully. Which will be... We're doing... The uh, next one is going to be an in-depth review of Batman vs. Superman, the Ultimate Edition. Right. Another retro, and that's fine. All right. All so right. So, guys, enjoy the rest of the night. Take care. Take care.